Uh, I, I, we don't know what holiness means. We really don't. Lots of us don't. And uh, it's sort of a dirty word in our culture. So we're going to look at how this is not only good and beautiful, but it's good for the world. One little proviso before we get started, or continue on. Later in this message, I'm going to ask some real questions. Like, real questions that I want you to answer. Not out loud. But I'm going to ask a question, and there's going to be like a long, awkward silence. Because I want you to think about it. Like 30 seconds to a minute. Maybe write it down. Then I'm going to ask another question. Then I'm going to ask another question. So I let you ask me questions every now and then, right? I sit up here and you just fire away at me. It's all fun and games then, huh? But uh, now I'm going to ask you questions, and I want you to think about it, okay? So our text is uh, Exodus 19. I'm going to read almost all of it. I will skip a little bit in the middle. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Did I just say that? And uh, they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported these words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Let's get down to verse 16. On the, mount, on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down, and then come up, bringing Aaron with you, and do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people, and he told them. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Father, we thank you for this text, and we pray that you would show us wonderful things in it. Uh, without your help, it would uh, probably just be confusing. So, Lord, soften our hearts and sharpen our minds and help us to see wonderful things about you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
One of my friends in RUF uh, once said this to us, deep down, we're all really the 8th grade versions of ourselves. Think about that for a second. This is not the question. But think about yourself in 8th grade. Think about your insecurities. That's the first thing I think of when I think of 8th grade, my insecurities. Your concerns, your fears, and your plan of attack to overcome those on a daily basis. Who you were trying to be in order to escape those. Okay? Miss Cool, Miss Grades, Mr. Sports, whatever your plan of attack was to escape your haunting insecurities. Have you changed? Much? Maybe a little bit. This is a one-on-one. This will be fun. Next week, everybody meeting with me, we're going to talk about what you were like in eighth grade. Um, I think he's on to something. I think he really is on to something. And I don't want to talk about it. Don't you dare ask me about eighth grade uh, for me. Um, so do you remember Violet? Violet Parr, also the, known as the eighth grade daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Uh, the movie's ten years old, but I'm going to assume you've actually seen The Incredibles. If you haven't, there's something maybe a little... Um, so uh, she's an 8th grader and uh, in some ways she's a remarkable 8th grader and in some ways she's not she's not remarkable because she's a girl who's not any longer really a girl she's not quite a woman she's stuck in that awkwardness that is 8th grade and uh, she's special she's an incredible but she doesn't want to be special remember what she's like she wants to be just like everyone else she wants to actually be blind and invisible. She doesn't want to stick out in any way whatsoever. Which is really interesting, because what was her superpower? The ability to be invisible. She was pretty good at that anyway. And uh, her other ability was the ability to, to make force fields, to protect herself, which she was pretty good at as well, by disappearing. Um, she's an incredible, special 8th grader who wanted to be just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. And I think, in lots of ways, we want to be like her. Like, we don't really want to stick out. Uh, if we do stick out, we want to stick out in the same ways that everyone else does. You know, people of excellence. Um, if you want to stick out in ways that are different, you're just trying to be weird. And even then, if I dug in deep enough, there's probably some insecurities there, by which, eventually, you'll be honest with me, where you would say, deep down, I'm so weird that this weird I project is the only way I think I can be normal. That's true, and some of you are laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> like, if you knew the real me, it's so messed up that if I didn't act this kind of weird, no one would ever accept me. All right, I can buy that. Uh, I do think deep down we're the eighth grade version of ourselves. We want to hide, we want to blend in, we don't want to stick out too much. And God has a plan for the world that involves his people sticking out, his people being different. It's... Uh, it's that we be holy, that we be like him, that we not be like others in lots of ways. And that's really, really hard. It's hard for lots of reasons. One, uh, Christianity doesn't have the best reputation in the world. We haven't always been very holy or very much like God. In fact, we have a, a history that's not always sterling. We have failed tremendously in lots of ways in our own country, throughout history, in our own town, in our own campus, in our own lives. Also, we all know people and uh, some of us really closely, who say they're Christians, that they're just like everybody else. 
right? I mean, you know someone like that. They're just like everyone else. Sometimes you may ask yourself, like, I'm not sure I'm not just like everyone else. How am I different than everyone else? And that's the question I'm asking really tonight. God has declared that his plan is that he will live with his people in such a way that they will be different. They will be a blessing to the whole world. How can you be a blessing to the world if you're just like the world? How can you be a blessing to the world if there's nothing at all different about you at all? Fair question? Hard question, right? Well, what we're going to see tonight is um, God wants us to be different. But this is his plan, and it's a good one. Um, God wants us to be with him, that we might be like him, for the sake of the world. All right? Put that all together. God wants us to be with him, that we might be like him, that we might be a blessing to the world. Okay? So I'm going to talk about these pretty quickly. It's pretty simple. But hard. Some really simple things in this life are hard. And this is one of them. Uh, God really does want us to be with Him. It's hard to believe. It will probably be even harder for these people to believe. Uh, so the story, the background is these people were just shortly, not long ago, slaves in Egypt. And uh, God chose them and rescued them. He pretty much did it single-handedly. They didn't contribute jack squat at all. <laughs> he did it all. He brought them out, and that's where, our, that's where our account starts. He brings them to this mountain to meet with them. And they're about to meet with the God who rescued them. And uh, what we see in this text is he's not out for their liberation so much as he is for their relationship. Um, you know, some of us grow up and they're teenagers. We're just thinking, like, I'm an adult now. I get to do whatever I want. I'm free. You know, your parents raise you the whole time thinking, my son's going to grow up and be a friend. Like, they're going to be a friend to me. It's an adult friendship. They really are thinking that, by the way. Like, you're my daughter, but it's going to be different. And you're thinking, like, I get to get out of here. <laughs> uh, got a disconnect there. Uh, that's what's going on here, perhaps. The people are like, we're free. And God's like, I bought you here to be with me. This is for a relationship. And you see it begins with God's delighting in them in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, uh, If you'll keep my voice, if you'll obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. This treasured possession among all the peoples is a very interesting uh, image. It's, it's the image of a king who's like gone around and kicked butt, taking everyone's stuff. He's got a storehouse, a treasure house. This is the real image. He's got a treasure house full of stuff that he's taking from everybody else. And he goes in there and he's got bags of gold and idols and who knows what else. And he's got one treasured possession. One thing that means more than anything else. That's exactly the word God uses here to describe his people. He's the king of all the earth and he's saying, You, Israel, my people, my treasured possession. That's a really interesting choice, God, because these people ain't got nothing, nothing at all to commend themselves. All the peoples on the earth are yours. There's some really bright people, some really ingenious people, some really strong people on the earth. These guys were slaves in Egypt. There weren't many of them. They hadn't really done anything in history. At this point, they've contributed jack squat, nothing at all. And God's like, you're my treasured possession. In fact, when he describes them elsewhere, he says, really, when I think about it, you're stiff-necked and stubborn. Um, it's not on the basis of your looks or your behavior or anything that I chose you or loved you. It's just because I loved you. So I, I play this game with my children. I love my children. I love to torture them uh, in a loving fashion. Y'all that know me well know where I'm going. That's just who I am. So, um, so I ask this question almost every day. How much do I love you? 
And my kids know the answer. I mess with them every day. And the answer is this far. Um, but sometimes they'll say, no, it's Tuesday. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I only love you a little bit on Tuesdays. Look at me. Or I'll say, I love you this much. And they're like, no, daddy. <laughs> love you this much. No. So they know how that game goes. So I never ask them, though, this question. I've never really asked them, nor have they ever asked me. My kids have never, ever once asked me this. They will eventually. Never ask me, why do you love me? They'll ask me, how much do you love me? They've never once asked, why? I think that's interesting. I mean, it struck me today as I'm writing this, like, they've never asked me why. So I went down and asked them, I said, Caleb, why do I love you? Because we're your children? I mean, what do you think? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Just like that. Because we're your children. Yes. That's right. Because you're mine. And that's exactly what God says. In Deuteronomy 7, when he's talking about them being his treasured possession, it's like, well, there's not a lot of you, and you're not all that impressive, but you're mine. Because I loved you. And it's what it says, because I loved you. I loved you because I loved you. And uh, that's what God does. He delights in his people. He wants to be with them. Over and over in this text, you see him drawing near. The whole text is about him drawing near. Verse 9, 11, 17, 20, and all the necessary preparations of his coming to be with his people. Um, so, this is a real question if you want to answer it. Anybody know what happens after this? What happens in the rest of Exodus? What happens in the rest? What's the rest of Exodus about? What up? They're in the desert. Okay, well, they're in the desert for, for years. What else? Yeah. God gives His law next. That's good. What happens after the law? You think it's boring? Yeah, the law, and He's setting up the specifics of the tabernacle. So. All these chapters, which are basically a long Hebrew word-by-word blueprint for the construction of a place to worship God, which is a fancy way of saying God is telling them how he's going to dwell with them. You see, God wants to be with his people. Right here on the mountain, he says, I want to be with you. And the problem is, God's big. He's really big. He's really holy. And you see the details here. He's constantly warning them over and over. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'll end up killing you if you do that wrong. Living with God's not easy. Uh, some of y'all know Stephen Rayner. Stephen Rayner has a little brother that uh, just won an award. He made this little video called My Big Brother. You can look it up. He won an award nationally. And it's really simple. It's a beautiful two-minute story, animated story. So this little kid who's like 10 has a big brother who's a giant. And they share like a room. And it's really hard because his brother's a giant. And the hand-me-downs he gets are socks that's as big as he is. And sharing the pool's really hard. And all these things are really hard. Because he has this mother that's enormous. It's, of course it'd be hard. Well, God wants to live with his people. That comes with some difficulties. He's not like us. He's holy. And uh, when he talks about describing and laying out the tabernacle, we get it. We begin to get it. This is what it requires for God to live with his people. Because we're the messy part of the equation. But he really does want to be with his people. Um, and this leads us to the next point. If, we're gonna, if God's going to live with us, and we're going to live with Him, we have to become like Him. 
It's, it's the other way around. It's not that we have to become like him in order to move in. It's that by living with him, we're going to become like him. We have to be willing to become like him. We have to be willing to play by his house rules, in other words. Um, and the heart of this, and pretty much the heart of the whole message of what God wants the people to do, the heart of his plan is verses 4 to 6. We just looked at verse 4. And five, uh, being a treasured possession. But if you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. Um, And you shall be to me, verse six, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Just going to focus on the word holy nation real quick. This is God's plan. His plan is to make his people beautiful and holy like him. Now, let's talk about the word holy, because it's a word we don't use anymore. Um... I'm going to talk about what it doesn't mean. These are poor imitations of the word holy. Uh, holy is not an attempt to look better than others for the sake of being better than others. Okay, That's not what holy means. I sort of grew up in a culture in the South where that was sort of what it meant. i got to be better than other people. And if I'm better than other people, if I'm more righteous, whatever that means, than they are, then I'm okay. It's not what it is. It's not an attempt to be good enough so God will like you. It is not acting in any way. I have to act this way or act that way. No, it's not acting. It's not about acting. It's about becoming. Literally becoming like God. Your heart starting to love the same things that God's heart loves. Uh, It's not an attempt to force morality on other people from the outside in some way. Really, it has to do with your heart changing and beginning to love the things that God loves. Um, so those are poor imitations and, Im- and becoming like him is based on imitating him we get to live with him he lives with us we dwell together and like anyone that loves us is gracious to us and is amazing okay, if the God of the Bible is true and everything it says is true he loves us for no good reason because we're not great I mean, you're alright but you're not great you don't deserve his love and he's amazing. And he's decided to love you like this and count you as treasured possession. Um, then you'd probably want to be with him. He wants to be with you. you. You should probably want to be with him. If he's important enough for him to give his son for you, you should probably prize. Consider that important enough to want to actually be with him and to be like him. And this is what happens when we fall in love with people, right? You, you've, if you've done this. Go back to 8th grade. Um, so uh, you fall in love with somebody and you start hanging around with them and before you know it, you're watching things that they watch that you never thought you would watch. Guys are watching The Bachelor. And uh, girls are watching MA fights for the first time or something. <laughs> and you know, maybe you start sharing phrases. You actually start becoming like each other. It's sort of, sort of cute and sort of sick. Um, well, uh, when you... When you know God, and He wants to be with you, and you're with Him. You become like Him. You're supposed to become like Him uh, as you delight in Him. You're supposed to become more beautiful like Him. Uh, how do you do this? The shorthand, the cliff note versions in our text, you obey and uh, keep His covenant. And if there's any word less popular than holiness, it's probably the word obey. Really. But I'll just do it really quickly. Obey means we already know what He wants, which I think is true. He's made known how to please Him. Love God, love neighbor. Love just, love justice and mercy. Uh, be gracious toward others. The Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount. It's not hard. That's not the problem. God, you actually know what God wants. The problem isn't you don't know what God wants. The problem is you want to do what you want to do. 
right? I mean, the real problem with obedience isn't that you don't know what to do. I've got small children. They know what's right and what's wrong. You think they misbehave because they don't know what's right and wrong? No. No. If you don't believe that's true, come keep my children. It will change your view of humanity. <laughs> they don't behave because they want to do what they want to do. We want to be like God in the sense that we want to be our own gods. We want to be our own king. We don't want to be anybody. And to uh, keep the covenant simply means to, to be faithful in the relationship, stay close to God, to stay close to Jesus. So, uh, let's go to start and try and draw this thing together because holiness is a hard idea. We'll sort of be talking about it all semester because it is sort of part of the call. Almost in some ways the heart of the call of what God wants for His people. Um, but I want you to notice how much work it involves not for the people but for Moses. Y'all notice what Moses has to do in this chapter? First of all, Sinai is a real mountain. It's, no, it's not Cardiac Hill. Which is a hill, not a mountain. I don't want to climb it. I don't climb it. That one or any other hill, by the way. I'm done. Um, It's a real mountain. And Moses is 80 years old. 80 years old. And during this account, he goes up and down the mountain like three times. In fact, at the end, God's already told him how to prepare the people. Right? He's told them how to prepare the people. He's prepared the people. He calls Moses up. And Moses gets up there and God says, go down and tell them not to come up. I don't want to hurt them. If they come up, I'm going to hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. And Moses is like, you already told me that. I've already done it. They're not coming up. It's as close as you'll get to Moses back-talking God. This happens in verse 21 and following. And God's like, yeah, I know I told you. Go down anyway. So he goes down and comes back up again. And this is why. For God to live with His people, they have to be consecrated. That's the word that's used here twice. They have to be set apart. They have to become like God. They have to be made holy. And they're not holy. And so Moses has to, to do all this work to make them right. He's the mediator that has to make them right. And he's just a man. And he's going to work himself to death going up and down the mountain making the people right. That's what it looks like for someone else to make you right. By the way, the word consecrated or set apart, a good easy illustration for you, uh, what that means is this. Um... Do you know parking around here just went up to $3 an hour? You don't know that, do you? It's horrible. $3 an hour to park around Pitt. So um, if I decide tomorrow I'm not taking it anymore, and I decide to find uh, Kathy Humphrey's parking space, or Jamie Dixon's parking space, or Mr. Nordenberg's parking space, and park there, um, well, my car would be towed, right? Right? Because that space is consecrated. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say consecrated for Mr. Nordenberg. It says reserved. But same thing. It's set apart for someone else. And what God is saying is, these people need to be set apart for me. They need to be set apart. And it's Moses' job to set them apart. And uh, he's not up to the task. I mean, he's up to the task this day, but forever, it's not, it's not his job. It's Jesus' job. Jesus is the last mediator. And he comes and does the work of Moses and every other prophet and priest to make you right. To make you right with God. Moses has to go up in the mountain a thousand times. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He does it one time and it's over. He makes you right with God. Uh, now, this is where I uh, need to ask you some hard questions. So, you get ready. Uh, I'm going to sum up what I've said so far about holiness. If you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian... God's calling you to be with Him and to be like Him, to be holy, okay? 
that is to be different from others, not for the sake of being different. Being different for the sake of being different is called being weird. Uh, I'm not advocating you being weird. That's just stupid. Um, you're called to be different because God's real and you're a real relationship with Him and you're changing from the inside out because God is really at work in your life. Okay? Um, so, if you consider yourself a Christian, try your best to answer these questions honestly in your own mind. If you're not a Christian, you know you're not a Christian, or you're in process, just think about them. It would still be a good exercise for you. Number one, do you want to be like God in His beauty, love, and justice? Do you actually want to be like God in His beauty, in His love, and in His justice? This is not a simple yes-no answer, okay? Number two, do you prize your holiness, do you prize being like God more than your happiness? Last, God really wants to be with His people. That's not a question, that's a statement. God really wants to be with His people. Do you believe that's true about you? Does God really want to be with you? God wants to be with His people to make you beautiful like Himself. That is not an ugly, soul-oppressive process, by the way. It's actually the process of becoming more beautiful like Jesus and learning how to love God and love others. I'm really thankful God's done this in my life. If you had known me 20 years ago, I'm so glad you didn't know me 20 years ago. I've got a long ways to go, but I'm so glad you didn't know me 20 years ago. Um, With Him, for our good... Coming like him for the world. This last part, really quickly, because the rest of the story in the Bible tells it. But this is God's plan all along. Genesis 3, Genesis 12, that these people, God's people with God's man, become blessed. They become like God in order to be a blessing to the world. Uh, and God calls them a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. He calls the whole people, all of them, priests. When people found out I was training to be a pastor, 
they'd always say, you're going to be a priest? And I'm like, no, man, I like sex. Um, so, sorry, I would say that, yeah. Um, you just don't understand the whole Protestant Catholic thing. Um, but I, I could also say, if you're a Christian, you're called to be so, uh, like a priest, someone that shares the knowledge of God with everyone. Um, if, if you're a Christian, like a priest, you're called to know God, to be near God, to show God, and to share God with others. That's your job. If you don't believe me that it's still the people's job today, go read First Peter chapter 2. He says the same thing. It's our job, if we know Jesus, to declare His excellencies, to, uh, to share the good news with Jesus, and to be holy like a priest. Um, this is not old, archaic stuff. This applies today to us. I sort of got a picture for you of what they were supposed to be like and what I think we're supposed to be like. These people that are called together at the foot of the mountain to be like God for the world. How many of you guys have been to Breezewood or through Breezewood? Show of hands. How many of you have been to Breezewood or through Breezewood? Actually, I have to believe a lot more of you have been to or through Breezewood. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? You've driven there. Okay, you've been through Breezewood or, or by near, near there. What's that? Yeah, yeah, from here, yeah. So Breezewood, if you've ever been through there, is a truck stop in the middle of nowhere that has an incredible amount of traffic. I mean, if you've been to Breezewood, you should know. Like, there's nothing there, so for gas stations and some places that sell Steelers gear and a couple donut shops. And that place is always jam-packed busy, right? Tons of traffic. It's weird. It's the weirdest small town I've ever been in. It really is. All right, what God is doing with Israel is putting them in breezewood in the middle of the ancient world. Seriously. They're a bunch of nobodies. He's going to plant them in between Assyria, Egypt, Greek, Rome, and Babylon on like the main interstate. And their job is to sit there and be beautiful for the world to see. Really. That's what they were supposed to do. They're, they're a highway sign of difference that there's hope in the world that there's really a God in the world because they live differently and they're beautiful. That's what they're supposed to be. Love God, love others. They're in the middle of all the mess and be a sign to the world that there really is a God and that you can change. That's what we're called to do. That's our, that's our call too. God's placed us here to do that. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Violet real quick. Then we'll be done. All right, so y'all, y'all be honest with me. Remember the first time you watched that movie, The Incredibles? Remember when Mom, Dash, and Violet are on the plane? Plane. They're going to find Mr. Incredible. You're watching it. It's sort of just an animated movie. At this point, you're enjoying it. And all of a sudden, there are missiles. They're freaking missiles. And you're thinking, as you're swallowing a lump in your throat, there ain't no way they're going to kill kids in this movie. Seriously, you're watching this, and you're thinking, there's no way they're going to kill kids in an animated movie. Right? Am I the only one thinking this? I mean, you're watching this, you're thinking, like, this is really morbid and serious. If you remember how it goes down, what happens is uh, it becomes clear to Mrs. Incredible that they're not going to call off the missiles. And she begins shouting at Violet. Um, what does she say? Violet, you have to put up a force field around the plane. Listen to what I say. Listen now. Do what I tell you. And what happens? She can't do it. You remember? She tries. She can't do it. Why can't she do it? Why can't she do what she's supposed to do? She can't do it because she's hidden who she is all this time. 
All this time, this is who she is, and she's never done it. She's never practiced it. She's never shown it in any way. And when, when it's needed, she can't do it. And the plane is blown to pieces all over the sea. They survive. She gets another chance. But you know what I like about that scene? It's weird. I like that scene. It's real. It's consequences. It's real. You know, in the, in the end, I like it that Violet gets a boyfriend and she gets a spine and she has confidence. That's great. Good for you. Would it be happy, Violet? I'm glad for you. I really am glad she gets some self-confidence and gets a boyfriend. That's wonderful. I'm happy that she's happy. Here's what I'm really happy about. This is what I really like. That somewhere in that movie, she figures out who she is and who she's supposed to be. She begins to do it. She is an incredible, right? She's incredible. She has this amazing ability. All these amazing abilities. She has the ability to save the world, along with her family. And she's afraid to be different. So she never does it. Until she learns to start doing it. Until she figures out who she is. Until she figures out that she's not like everyone else. If If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're not like everyone else. I mean, you are. You're messed up. You're a sinner. You're selfish. I know that. But you're not like everyone else in this. You belong to God. You belong to Him. He's yours. He wants to be with you. He wants to make you like Him. And He has a grand plan for you. It's a really good plan to make you beautiful. To make you wonderful. To make you brave, strong, just like Himself. To be a blessing to the world. This is a hard message, guys. There's no way around it. But it's a good message. It's a simple call. Stop living for yourself. Stop being afraid. Stop hiding. I mean, there's a God that gave himself for you because he loves you. There's a whole needy world that needs you. And uh, you really have something to give. You really do. Because God's loved you and made you different. And is at work in you, making you beautiful like himself. All right, let's pray together.